It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Joe Mott here. Welcome to the program. Today I continue to discuss the question, Is belief in God reasonable. Of course, if God does not exist, then belief in God is certainly unreasonable. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the Apostle Peter writes to strengthen Christians who are suffering for their faith. He articulates four rules for defending the Christian faith. Be reverent to the Lord. Be ready to answer for the hope that is in you. Be reasonable and be respectful to your interlocutor. Responding to the imperative to be reasonable, I have begun to remind you of the proofs for the existence of God that I have given already in this program. My favorite argument is the Kalam argument. It uses the fact that the beginning of the universe implies that the universe has a cause. Since matter, space, time, and energy came into existence with the universe, then any such cause must therefore be immaterial, spaceless, and non-temporal. Thus, we can say that any cause of the universe is a spirit which is omnipresent and eternal. These are some of the attributes of what theists believe about God. I have expanded Kalam's argument to demonstrate that, in fact, the first cause of the universe is identical to the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Atheist's typical response is to ask, who made God? No less than the thinkers like the mathematician and philosopher Bertrand Russell and the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins make that charge. Russell said, quotes, If everything must have a cause, then God must have a cause. If there can be a, anything without a cause, it must just as well be the world as God, so that there cannot be any validity in that argument, end quotes. Russell's and Dawkins' responses are examples of the classic straw man fallacy. The Kalam argument does not claim that everything must have a cause. Rather, the Kalam argument claims everything that begins to exist has a cause. Theists believe God is self-existent and therefore is uncaused. Russell's and Dawkins' charge is just silly logic. Also, William Lane Craig's version of the moral argument resonates with many people. Let's recall his argument. Premise one. If God does not exist, 
then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Premise two, objective moral values and duties do exist. Conclusion, therefore, God exists. The reason this argument is so powerful is because anyone who believes in moral relativism tends to believe premise one. But at the same time, the values of tolerance, fairness, and love have been deeply instilled in them. They think it is morally wrong to be intolerant, that it is morally wrong to be unfair, that it is morally wrong to judge someone else. So they are also committed deeply to premise two. In other words, most moral relativists believe both premises of Craig's moral argument. But here is the rub. The people who accept the truth of the two premises have not put them together to draw a conclusion. The logical law of the contrapositive or the classical argument of modus tollens entail that God, therefore, must exist. C.S. Lewis, Ravi Zacharias, and others argued that there is a moral lawgiver. In the last episode, I demonstrated that Trent Horn's argument proved that natural origins are inadequate for objective moral truths, and that instead objective moral truths have a supernatural origin in God. Thus, it is inescapable that God is that moral lawgiver. The moral argument has a powerful existential force. You ignore it at your own peril. The design argument is another theistic argument that has wide appeal. Almost everyone admits that reflection on the order and beauty of nature touches something very deep within us. You can hardly go out at night and see the vastness of the starlit sky and not be awestruck. But is it true that the order and beauty of nature is the product of intelligent design and conscious purpose? For theists, the answer is yes. Arguments for the design of the universe are attempts to justify this answer. The fine-tuning argument is a specific application of a design argument for the existence of God. Fine-tuning arguments focus on the specific nature of the universe and how it appears to have been carefully arranged to allow for intelligent life. Scientists have discovered a startling truth, namely, that the universe looks suspiciously like a planned event, a fix, so to speak. From the very first moment of the universe's inception, fundamental parameters were balanced on a razor's edge of incomprehensible exactitude so that intelligent life could transpire. In other words, the conditions had to be just right to obtain the end result of life. Modern physics recognizes a set of fundamental parameters that govern the atom so that the result is favorable to life. The strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, the electromagnetic force, and the force of gravity must exist within very narrow ranges in order for life to exist in the universe.
Martin Rees, author of the book Just Six Numbers, says, Mathematical laws underpin the fabric of our universe. Not just atoms, but galaxies, stars, and people. The properties of atoms, their sizes and masses, how different kinds there are, and the forces linking them together determine the chemistry of our everyday life. The very existence of atoms depends on forces and particles deep inside them. The objects that astronomers study, planets, stars, and galaxies, are controlled by the force of gravity, and everything takes place in the arena of an expanding universe whose properties were imprinted into it at the time of the initial Big Bang. Modern science currently recognizes more than 100 of these parameters critical to the formation of life. But this list is by no means exhaustive. It is just a small sample of the many factors which must be just right in order for life to exist on Earth. We are very fortunate to live on a privileged planet of Earth that has the right atmosphere, magnetic field, and location in a privileged solar system, in a privileged galaxy, in a Goldilocks universe. Was all this just luck, or was it devised? The famous physicist and mathematician Freeman Dyson proclaims, quotes, The more I examine the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe, in some sense, must have known we were coming, end quotes. How then can we best explain this incomprehensible fine-tuning? Did they all just happen to fall accidentally within the extremely narrow range of values required for our existence? People now suggest there are four basic alternatives. The result of natural law, often called physical necessity, chance, natural selection, or design. In episode 72, I gave my argument based on those four possible alternatives and the elimination of three of those possibilities, leaving only design. Premise one, there are four modes of explanation for fine-tuning, design, chance, physical necessity, or natural selection. Premise two, chance, physical necessity, and natural selection can be eliminated as possible alternatives. Conclusion, therefore, the explanation for fine-tuning is design. The philosopher of science and author of the book, The Structure of Science, Ernest Nagel, wrote that while some thinkers have tried to show that the laws of nature are necessary, he concludes that, quotes, a demonstration of the necessity is still lacking, end quotes. I have said that chance fails and that natural selection depends on reproduction of living beings, and that only was possible well past the time when the constants were instituted. There are two basic or teleological arguments 
of which I am familiar. The first is the above fine-tuning argument that expands on one by William Lane Craig. But the second argument gives a different approach to conclude design. Premise one, every design has a designer. Premise two, fine-tuning of the basic physical constants at the beginning of the universe indicates design in the universe. Conclusion, therefore the universe was designed and has a designer that explains its existence. My expansion of the Kalam argument argues that the first cause of the universe is identical to the God of the Bible. A fine-tuning argument, on the other hand, looks not so much to the first cause of the universe, but to the intelligent mind behind the universe, given the intricate arrangement of features that make life possible. That is fine-tuning, and is based on what the creating agents can do arrange matter in highly specific and complex ways to accomplish ends, and then what natural laws can't do. But if the universe is design, then the designer is outside the universe, and since matter, time, and space came into being with the universe, so the designer, like the first cause of the universe, is immaterial, timeless, and spaceless. David Horton, author of the book, The Portable Seminary, asserts, quote, No one can deny the universe to be designed. Instances of purposive ordering are all around us. Features that show the universe to be basically friendly to life, mind, personality, and values. Life is itself a cosmic function. That is, a very complex arrangement of things both terrestrial and extraterrestrial that must be obtained before life can subsist. The Earth must be just the right size. Its rotation must be just right. Its distance from the sun must be within certain limits. Its tilt must be correct to cause the seasons. Its land-to-water ratio must be a delicate balance. Our biological structure is very fragile. A little too much heat or cold and we die. We need light, but not too much ultraviolet. We need heat, but not too much infrared. We live just beneath an air screen shielding us from millions of missiles every day. We just live 10 miles above a rock screen that shields us from the terrible heat under our feet. Who created all these screens and shields that make our earthly existence possible? End quotes. Once again, we have a choice. Either the universe was designed, or it developed all these features from some other source. The design in the cosmos is either a purposive plan from God, a consequence of natural law, a result of reproduction, or an accident. 
The above two arguments indicate it was planned. It is reasonable to infer that God did the planning. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.